Thank you, God. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for your presence. Your presence is so precious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm just going to dive right in. And you can remain seated because I have a bit of a lengthy reading. I'm going to read over half the chapter, chapter 4 in the book of John. It seems long, but uh, I'll see if I can get through this rather quickly. There are some amazing truths in here I want to bring out. <clears throat> when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees has heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the, a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I want to say to you today this short phrase, and you're going to understand a little more as I go through. 
But I want to tell you, it only works if you drink it. Doesn't mean a lot yet. Just hang on with me, because it's coming. See, there's so much truth in the Bible. And in chapter 4 of John, I would say that someone with a better understanding of the Word than I could do a whole series on this chapter alone. I don't believe I could exhaust everything that can be said or, or needs to be said about this, this story specifically in one setting. And I don't think I'm supposed to do that. See, sometimes we preach the Bible as if God wrote it for preaching, where in reality, God delivered the Bible for feeding Sometimes we try to compress the ultimate truth of the Word of God into a 30-minute situation when really God was not concerned about giving us a story to preach from. He's concerned about giving you a story to grow from, to understand from. And sometimes, sadly, the only time we handle the Word of God is when we come to church and it comes to us uh, in the form of a, of a preaching, a sermon. We can actually assassinate the integrity of the text for the benefit of, a, of preaching. We come away with some great sermons, but we can also miss out on some great truths. And that's what we have here. See, this truth is much bigger than the sermon. This particular Bible character has been compromised in the mouths of preachers all too often. We have minimized her whole story down to a simple talk on promiscuity or infidelity, and we fail to really understand the depth of who this woman is. This woman steps onto the pages of Scripture at a very critical time. Most of you are aware that the Gospel of John clearly points to the deity of who Christ is, not just that he is the Messiah, not just that he is the Son of Man, as one Gospel says, or as he, that he is the Son of God, as another Gospel declares, but that he is actually God incarnate, that he is God manifest in the flesh. John 1.1 starts off, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It starts out clearly letting you know, as opposed to the other gospels who begin to tell you that, that so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. He breaks through all of the flesh lineage and goes right to the supernatural, right to the divine and declares that Jesus Christ is God. It's a very important book because it separates Christ from being just somebody in some divine hierarchy that points to God and identifies him as being the God-man, God manifest in the flesh. Yet in the middle of all this great deliberation about Christ's divinity, it interjects the issue of this one woman. How did this woman leap in here? This fourth chapter, no less. Right after talking about the divinity of Christ, onto the scene steps this woman at the well, and here she is. Her life is so filled with bizarre mayhem that it's difficult not to become distracted by her promiscuity and multiple failed relationships that, that if you're not careful, that's what you're going to focus on. That's what you're going to preach about. But please understand, this woman is not given to us just to point out her immoralities. This goes to a much deeper root. The immorality is the fruit, but I want to talk to you today about the root. And the root of her problem is not the seduction of men around her. It's not just her flesh. In fact, this woman was actually going out of her way to go to the well at a certain time not to see people. She's trying to come to the well at a time when nobody else is there. She just wants to get her water. She just wants to be about her business. Isn't it amazing sometimes how your past mistakes can cause you in your present to avoid people? She doesn't want to see people. 
Her issue has frustrated her to the point of avoiding people. She's so used to the game and the racket that even when she comes to a God experience, even when she encounters God in the flesh, she sees it through her carnal eyes. She comes in contact with the God-man himself, but she reduces him down to her past experiences and sees God through the lens of how she saw men. Do you know that it is possible to be in the presence of God, but interpret it as just one more experience in a long line of what you've already had before? We have a tendency to be presumptuous with spirituality. We step into this thing often thinking that this is very similar to what we have seen before, what we've been through before. Hence, this woman comes down to the well and sees this man at the well and thinks he's just another in a long line of men. Just picture it. I read the story to you. Here she is getting ready to draw water presupposing that this man who's trying to talk to her get this she sees this man that's that's that's, that he he just says he, he wants a drink of water and she's probably thinking and what else because her whole past experiences were filled with that sure yeah you want water sure you do you heard the story what'd she say you don't even have anything to draw with What are you doing talking to me? By the way, sir, you Jews aren't even supposed to talk to us Samaritans. We're the Crips and you're the Bloods. We're not supposed to get along. You're the Sharks and we're the Jets. It, does, it doesn't, we don't mix. We're Eagles fans and you're wearing a DAC jersey. See, she thought that Jesus was just another man in a long line of men. But let me tell you, You'd be surprised by how many people actually walk through these doors and sit on these pews, always thinking that this is just going to be another church service like I've already experienced, just like any other, or just another church, uh, just like the, the 20 others that they've been to in the past year, uh, that they've just walked away from. It's just going to be like any other, always thinking that it's just the same as before. They look through cynical eyes. They, they come in thinking that today is just going to be the same. Tonight is going to be the same service that I've already walked away from, unchanged, unaffected. My situation is still the same thing. But let me tell you, friend, the well you're standing by right now is not just a well of water. It is the living well. You're not just standing by any old water. You are standing, you are sitting today by the well of living water. This living water, you can be changed by it. You don't have to accept today as just status quo, as just a normal Sunday that I've always been through. This is the first one of, uh, of, of, of May, and, and it's just going to be the same thing as last week, and next week will be the same thing again. But you can partake of living water and never thirst again. But it only works if you drink it. What's amazing to me, this whole conversation that happens at the well, I know I read a lot of verses, but this whole conversation is amazing. Jesus was thirsty, but her inner thirst was so deep that Jesus put his outer thirst on hold because he can't get what he really wants from her 
Remember, she's the only one that has something to draw from the well. He can't get what he wants until she gets what she needs, until he fixes her thirst so that she can be available to him to give to him what he had asked for in the first place. Isn't it how funny how God ends up asking you for something that he has to give you before you have any chance of giving to him the thing that he's asking for, he's got to give it to you first. See, God gives us certain things, not just for ourselves, but I promise you sometime he's going to ask for it in return. Gifts, talents, I've been playing saxophone for a long time. I had about two weeks of lessons from my uncle, and he did this only because uh, I was family, but he, he sat me down and he looked at me and he said, go home and practice, and if it does not come natural, give it up. Now, most teachers are not going to do that with a student, and like I said, I was family, so he felt that he could do that. I don't know if I was just uh, cutting into his paying customers or not, but uh, that, that's what happened. I went home, and I practiced, and I practiced, and I, I went back to him about a month later, and he said, this is something we can really work with. And then he sat me down, and he said, in all seriousness, this is a talent that you have from God. If you don't give it back to him, he will take it from you. So since then, I have tried to the best of my ability to everything that I have to give it back to God, whether it's a talent or my time or my finances. I want to give back to Him because it's His anyway. I don't know why I'd jump off of there. That wasn't even routing down here, but we'll go on. We'll go on anyway. So this woman's situation is built upon a deeply personal problem. And I suggest to you today that it was not what we can see on the surface. It was not lust because Jesus did not talk to her about morality. He didn't just give her the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit anything that you want to say is bad, even though you shouldn't. But he cuts down to the deeper thing that is hurting her. He gets down to the thing that a lot of us are suffering from. He gets down in the dirt of her real situation, says, woman, you are thirsty aren't you? You're not satisfied. You're living your life in a constant state of discontentment. Friend, let me tell you something. When Satan really wants to destroy you, he doesn't have to send a man or a woman. He doesn't have to send a bottle or a pill. He doesn't have to send a, an, Ill, an illegal deal, deal. He doesn't have to send the worst of situations. When Satan really wants to destroy you, he just has to give you a spirit of discontentment. Spirits of discontentment have nothing to do with college degrees or how, how attractive you can make yourself. You can have more degrees than a thermometer or make yourself up to be beautiful and attractive and still be miserable, just lowly. You can look like you're on every magazine cover and be totally miserable because you realize that nobody loves you. They just love the package. And loving the package is not enough. Loving the car is not enough. Loving my house is not enough. Loving my, my status in the community is not enough. A spirit of discontentment is killing this generation. 
Billions of dollars are being spent on, on every year on facelifts and tuck this and fix my nose because of a spirit of discontentment. And I'm not just uh, downing, just trying to better yourself. And, and I didn't really come to talk about plastic surgery, but, but talk about just never being satisfied. Make it thinner, make it wider. I don't want blue eyes. I want brown or green. They keep changing things, trying to find something to be satisfied in. But they're never, never satisfied. A woman who's a size 16 living to be a size 10, sitting next to someone who's a size 10 trying to be a size 5, sitting next to someone who's a size 5 trying to be a 3, and the 3 is anorexic trying to get into a 0. And it's just not the, the, the women, the men are the same way too. It's, a, it's not about weight, it's about a spirit of discontentment. People doing all sorts of things to get smaller, all while skinny people are drinking shakes and eating high-calorie food to try to gain some weight. Everybody's just trading places. It's just a spirit of discontentment. Listen, there are some women in this city that would cut off their left ear to get a husband and, a, and some women that would cut off their right to give them theirs. They're just discontent. Never satisfied. Always finding fault in something in your situation. People in little churches always praying and, and fasting about revival and revival and all the while someone's saying, you know what, I just couldn't be a member of one of those mega churches. Well then stop praying for revival. You know what happens when you're never satisfied? You're going to wreck every relationship that comes your way because you're trying to find satisfaction in people, in clothes, in places, in things, in job titles. You're going to go through people like a hound dog goes through rabbits. You're just going to chew them up, hungry for something else because your problem is not with who your parents were or, or the job that you have or the amount of money you make or the type of phone that you use. It's coming from your spirit. And Jesus discerned that this woman had a spirit of discontentment and he cut through all of that junk and went right past where everyone else could see and went right to the root. He said, if you drink the water that I'm going to give you, you will never thirst. Can you imagine never being thirsty? And I don't just mean water. I just mean never wanting or desiring something. Nobody could trick you. Nobody could abuse you. Temptation couldn't seduce you. No one could make a fool out of you. You couldn't be tempted. Even with a great meal, you cannot tempt a full man. He's content. Temptations are born out of hunger and thirst. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Somebody say gain. Now the word gain, it's interesting because it deals with profit. Gain is what you have left when the transaction is over. You can live your life for, for 70 years and never have gain. So where does profit come from? It comes from godliness with contentment. So what does consent, discontentment look like? Well, as we see in this story, on the outside, it could look like five husbands and a boyfriend. It may show up in someone else who keeps changing jobs as often as they change pants. It may show up in someone else as someone who can't keep a friend longer than a week because you're never truly satisfied. You can't satisfy them. You never give them what they want long enough. You can't encourage them enough. You can't love them enough because they always want something beyond what they have. They have a spirit of discontentment. This woman says to Jesus, are you greater than Jacob, our father? What she's asking here is this. she's saying, are you better than what I've already been through before? 
And Jesus says, there's one distinct difference between me and the other men that you've come into contact with. See, what you've been doing, you're going to need to do it again. Where you've been going, you're going to need to go there again. What you've been seeing, you're going to need to see again. But if you drink of the water that I have, you will never thirst again. You'll be content. Paul says when he begins to talk about what he's learned, he says that I've learned whatever state he was in therewith to be content. So I chase down this, this word learn because there are a lot of ways you can learn. You can read something and learn it. You can, you can see something and learn it. And, and in this word, when you look in the Greek, it begins to break down all of the different ways that you can learn. But the particular learn that Paul mentions here in Philippians deals with the kind of learning that comes in your life when you have experienced enough to draw conclusions. So let me tell you, the greatest plague that the enemy can put us can put on us is this thought that we missed out on something to say to us if we've only done this maybe my life would have been different if we would only been there or if we would have only met that person at the right time then then maybe our life would have been different or better or or whatever the case may be but but he gives us this this thought that we just missed out on something but we need to realize that contentment does not come from external sources. It has to come from within. And that's a prayer that you hardly ever hear anyone pray. You don't hear someone say, Lord, make me satisfied. You always hear people saying, Lord, give me this, or, or change this person, or, or help them to recognize, or Lord, use me, Lord, acknowledge me. Paul said, I've learned through experience, whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And I've always shied away from that scripture because it didn't always line up with what I wanted to feel. I know it's God's word, but I didn't always like what it would require of me. I didn't always like what it might make me give up or let go of because I had to be content. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking against ambition. I'm not speaking against chasing after something that, that God has promised you. But when one day you feel the call to preach and, and the next day you don't, and the next day you feel called to be an author or something, and the next day something else, maybe you need to check and see where those calls are coming from. See, God is not the author of confusion. Those callings might just be something trying to tell you you're discontent. You're not content. Some, this is just not going to satisfy you. You could be chasing all sorts of things that on their own, on the surface, on the outside, they're not a bad thing, but you could be chasing after something simply because you're driven by a spirit of discontentment. And you might not want to hear this today because some of you might still be buying into the myth that you can attain contentment with what you have. But Jesus speaks into this woman's story and says, drink of me. Take this water that I give. Let me satisfy you, and you're never going to thirst again. You're not going to be discontent. I can make you content. So, Paul, what do, you, what do you mean that you've learned to be content in whatever situation? I don't know if I can fully understand that. And, and Paul wants to tell you. It's because Paul knew something. He, he, he knew that neither life nor death nor principalities, nor power, nor, nor a whole slew of other things could separate him from the love of God. So when he is knowing that nothing can separate him from the love of God, he has come to the realization that I can be content 
in him. I can be satisfied only through him, but I can be satisfied in him. Paul never let his condition determine who he was. Your contentment not, comes not from what you are in, but it comes from what is in you. So Jesus was saying to the woman, if you just stop what you're doing, if you just stop being where you've always been, see, if you always do what you've always done, you're just always going to get the same thing. The only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth and how long you spend in it. But you have to come out from that one thing and realize that the man standing in front of you at the well is not going to give you something that will leave you empty in a couple hours, but it's going to satisfy you forever. And the reason why you keep coming to this well, you see it, it, it can only give you what it has, the water that it has in it. And you will thirst again, but if you drink of the water that I have, Jesus says you're never going to thirst again. Coming to a close, but I want to share with you something. And I might get in trouble here. So please bear with me. I'll apologize and go. Let Brother Green clean up my mess. But I want to tell you why coming to church doesn't satisfy. Growing up all my life, I heard people say, come to Jesus. He satisfies. Come, just, just come to my church. All the churches say, just, just believe on Jesus. Just come to church. It's going to satisfy you. And I grew up all my life in church. And when I was 13, I came to him and, 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 and got the Holy Ghost. And I just came like I was. And I started living the life. I was looking the part. I was there. I got happy. I got joy. I got church. I got religion. I got some social structure. I had the water. But Jesus never said anything about having the water or how having the water was going to satisfy you. He didn't say if you have this water, you're going to be satisfied. I know people that have been living around, around this water for 20 years, and, and they're not satisfied. They're just marginally improved from who they were before. Oh, yeah, I'm better than I was, but not really where I needed to be. They have the water. They know the scriptures. They can quote if you need it. But, friend, it only works if you drink it. You can come to church until you wear the heels off your shoes, but it only works if you drink it, if you get it down on the inside of you. You can sit beside others who are drinking the whole time and walk out of the room and still be thirsty. It only works if you drink it. Jesus said, if you believe on me, as the scripture said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters, not stagnant or dead, but living water. And then he tells you what the metaphor is about. He says, this spake he concerning the spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the thirst-quenching water that Jesus came to give us. But we can't just have it. We can't just know about it. We can't just know where the well is down the street on Virginia Avenue in McKinney, Texas. We can't just know these things. It only works if you drink it. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He put it on the inside. He didn't just carry it with him or hang it on the outside of his doorpost. He knew it. He put it on the inside. With this last story, I want to close. 
Heard a story once of a mountain climber. Went climbing by himself late at night. He wanted to see something different. He had seen it all during the day, and he just wanted to see what the stars illuminated. Something different, so to test his abilities. And through this process, he slipped and slid down a jagged edge, and, and not knowing how far he had fallen down, his, his safety rope finally caught him. And it was dark, and he couldn't see. He couldn't see above, he couldn't see below, and he prayed out loud, God, I'm going to freeze to death. I can't get my footing. I can't get a grip anywhere. Tell me what to do. And the Spirit of God told him. He said, cut the rope. <laughs> I'm not drinking that. <laughs> he said, no, God, I'm going to fall to my death. God said, cut the rope. Four days later, they found his frozen body tied to a safety rope. And two feet below him was a ledge and a path that would have led him to safety. He was close to a safe place, but he wouldn't drink it. He was near the well, but he didn't drink it. If he would have obeyed the word that he had heard. See, here's the point of the story. He was, he was going by what he saw rather than what God said. And the point today, I want to tell you, if, if, if you're lonely or if you're dying on the inside or you're frustrated because you're just not satisfied or maybe life has dealt you some bad blows I want to tell you most people in this world are just a few feet away from living water they're just a few feet away from real peace that passes all understanding they're just a few feet away from joy but you're discontent because you know just enough about God that, that you think you don't really have to obey that voice. But I'm telling you, it only works if you drink it. Those of you in here that are struggling with discontentment, always trying to be something that you weren't meant to be, reaching for that thing that's, that, that's just not meant for you, just a few feet away from being satisfied, there is a well here. There is a well that offers something deeper, more thirst quenching, more satisfying than you've ever come into contact with. It's just a few feet away, but you've got to drink it. See, it's not just because the situation you're in is going to change, but it's the spirit that's in you is going to change you through the situation. Would you stand? Would you lift a hand? Begin to ask God for that living water. If you have this living water, if you would begin to ask God to, to show you how you can show and, and how you can convince somebody else that this is not something to just know about, but this is something that must be experienced. This is a relationship that you have to have for yourself. Friend, would you just cut the rope? Let go of that thing that's holding you back. The thing that has you bound because you have the water. The water is here, but it only works if you drink it. Would you pray today? God, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. Hallelujah.